Welcome to Wise Health for Women Radio with Linda Prater. Women are pressed daily to give more, learn more, and be more, often at the expense of mind, body, or spirit. Each week with intriguing guests and topics, we'll bring you fresh ways to view your limited time, encouraging a shift to new, healthier perspectives. Wise Health for Women Radio, helping women thrive. And now here's your host, Linda Prater. Good morning. We're very glad that you've joined us today. We have a really interesting show for you with a terrific guest, and it relates to how we can advocate for our own health and be the CEO of our health, if you want to use a phrase. And it's it's really true, because if we do not advocate for ourselves, do our research, understand where we are as a patient uh, or with our symptoms or with our conditions, we simply don't get as far in terms of positive outcomes. And specifically today, we're going to talk about how the pharmacist can be a very welcome part of your care team and what you may not have even considered as a pharmacist being able to help you. So I'd love to welcome to our show, Dr. Jerika Dodd, and we will talk about this very topic because pharmacy plays a part uh, as do many other modalities of treatment and therapy and conditions, but Americans are stressed with a lot of stressful, sourced, I'll call it, uh, conditions. And a lot of these things can be managed best when you know more. So, Jerika, welcome to our program. Well, thank you, Linda. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm, I'm really intrigued by this because I know that most of us... Um, we, we always consult Dr. Google before we go to the doctor, which is, of course, somewhat of a mistake when you take symptoms, throw them into a giant search engine, and you get 6,532,000 results, and you're not sure what's real, what's not real, what's prioritized, what's sponsored. I think we all know. But it is a good thing to be informed about what we're doing. But as I, as we talked before um, this program, I think... The role of the pharmacist is is almost hidden, and I'd love you to talk about how you came to understand that the role of the pharmacist can be expanded, can be helped, and can really be a true integral part of a care plan. Well, sure, and you're right. I agree that if you were to ask the average person what does a pharmacist do, their thoughts may go to the retail pharmacy setting where they're used to seeing a pharmacist in the drugstore dispensing prescription medications. Counting pills. Right. (laughs) Pill counter. Uh, And then their thoughts may, if they've been hospitalized and they were able to recognize a pharmacist, they may have seen a pharmacist in a hospital setting. However, I would suggest that most people think of the pill counter when they think of a pharmacist. Mm -hmm. But pharmacists can do so much more to support the healthcare team and other healthcare practitioners as well as the patient. Well, and I think that it's proving out in a commercial model. We are seeing many more minute clinics, um, on-site services where you can actually speak with a pharmacist. And I think that it's coming into its own in a way it hadn't years ago. Would you agree with that? I agree. You are finding more pharmacists that are going into uh, maybe a non-traditional consulting role. Yes. Able to either serve as a consultant to 
healthcare providers or a consultant to patients to help bridge the gap that sometimes exists. When you think about the uh, doctor's visit being um, generally limited in time, it's not mm-hmm. like to a doctor's office with a laundry list of symptoms or problems or what Good have you. Good luck with that. Right. <laughs> limited. And so a patient is, you know, there, I think the average is maybe about seven to 10 minutes in the actual interaction with their physician. Correct. They are maybe given prescriptions and those prescriptions now can be sent electronically to the retail drugstore setting. Mm-hmm. And that pharmacist, um, sometimes because of volume, because of other responsibilities, such as providing immunizations or what have you, is also busy. And mm-hmm. That patient at that time, when they're picking up their prescription, they're asked, do you have questions? But they may not have questions at that time. And that's why I developed Your Pharmacy Advocate, Mm -hmm. because I wanted patients to have a more personalized service with the pharmacist, such that that pharmacist would know them, know their health history, and that pharmacist would be able to answer their questions. Because maybe the patient doesn't think of the question until 9 o'clock at night, and they, you know, may not call back to the retail pharmacy or not. And they, they don't know what they don't know sometimes when they're picking up a medication. They haven't had a chance to think through what their questions even are. Well, I tend to think it's worse than that. I tend to think that if you ask the average person, and this has happened in my family, I happen to work in pharmaceuticals for 20 years. So I do understand what people are taking, but you'll say to someone, well, what are you taking? What is your dosage? Right. I don't know. It's on the bottle. Um, and as things go to generics, you no longer have a name that you can look up as easily. People don't understand the difference between generics. They don't understand that 30% of all drugs are refractory and won't work. And so therefore you might need a secondary try at a prescription, but you don't know that because you're not educated as a patient, that it does require participation on both sides. And your doctor isn't going to answer those questions because chances are good that they don't actually know the answer. But the pharmacist does. Right. The pharmacist does. And the pharmacist has done extensive, has completed extensive training in medications. And the other piece that you can add in here, Linda, is that Sometimes patients are taking supplements and maybe oh, yes. from their local supplement or vitamin right. store, or maybe it's something their neighbor said, you know, here, try two of these. It worked for me. <laughs> and so who's, who's keeping track of all of that? Who do no you one. call and say, Hey, I've got, you know, a supplement that my neighbor down the street told me to try. And, or, you know, many people take supplements for different weight loss programs. How do you know if that interacts with the medications you're taking? Well, they don't. And in in another life, I work with veterans who are sometimes given 26 medications at a time. Because I'm not a clinician, I cannot say, holy cow, knowing what the meds are, you know, there could be deep interactions. So I guide them to an app where you can compare them. But what I'm hearing you say is, you know, if you can build a relationship with your pharmacist, you can actually get that information straight without filtering from right. an app that can only do so much. And and I think there's so many 
I'll call it traditional thoughts when, you know, there's, there's the authority of the physician Mm -hmm. and I don't yet think there's quite the authority of the pharmacist as such a integral part of the care team, but there could be, there could be. And it sounds like it's moving in that direction based on what you're doing with the pharmacy advocate. Because one thing I have learned is that you do need to advocate or have someone advocate for you. Two sets of ears. What are you taking? What are the side effects? What am I looking for? I think one of the most important questions that people need to know, even though we're handed inserts when we get our prescriptions, mm-hmm. is what do I look for? Um, this is from my elderly mother. And, you know, are there things that I should be on the lookout for? Sometimes you don't want to do that because there are placebo responses or mind-spirit connections that will automatically make that happen. But again, we're talking about education and transparency. And I love the thought that I I can tap into my pharmacist who happens to be a neighborhood pharmacist. Mm -hmm. But there aren't very many of those left. Right. Yes, I agree. And there are so many circumstances. As I as I talk to people, I say that everyone eventually tells me their medication story. It's either theirs or someone that Correct. love. And you find situations where I had one patient who would uh, be considered elderly, who was in her uh, mid-70s, and mm-hmm. she had been taking an anti-anxiety medication mm-hmm. since uh, while when she was working, she said it it always helped calm me down so that I could sleep because I worked the night shift. And oh, I was saying, but you've been retired for over ten years now, so is this still necessary <laughs> medication? And this medication, because of your age, your body will not clear it as fast as someone who is not considered to be a senior. And so I have to talk cons- about that a little bit because I think people, we have about two minutes before the break, but I think people are unaware of how age, metabolism, health condition right. all affect how you metabolize medication. Yes, age definitely can affect how drugs are metabolized. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes as patients age, they don't clear drugs as Mm -hmm. fast as they or at a normal rate that the average uh, adult would clear them. Mm -hmm. And then we also have uh, sometimes with age when chronic illnesses set in, Mm -hmm. then that also impacts the liver and the kidneys and such that they don't clear drugs as someone who doesn't have liver or kidney dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And so all of those things. So yes, you can look it up on Google. You can definitely check an app, but I still say that you need a pharmacist in that equation to help make heads or tails with the information that you're even finding. Well, I think so too, because it's an overload of information nine times out of 10. Yes. So it, it gives you so much that you don't actually know what you're seeing and your individual situation is going to be different because obviously every body is different. And I, I think the dosages can be different. But knowing what to look at whenever you take a new medication, we're coming up on a break. And I would love to take that into our second segment because I think everyone really says, okay, the doctor prescribed this for me and I'm going to take it. And yet they may not associate certain side effects uh, certain things. And of course, if you read the package insert, you're going to think you're going to lose your right ear. Your right. nose will turn green. And honestly, if you read those, you'll never take any medication in your life except an apple. So right. it's, it's really kind of interesting 
how that all works. But you're right. If you tap into the pharmacist, which I think what I'm hearing you say is make friends with your pharmacist, even yes. if it is in a chain drugstore, yes. um, because I think that that is something that adds to your healthcare team and outcomes. So we are going to go on a short break. We're talking with Ch- Dr. Jerika Dodd, and we will be back talking more about the differences and what you can look for and what's important because medication plays a very strong role in healthcare and should actually, but we want to do it the right way. So we'll be right back. Stay with us. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. It can be difficult to find good, fresh fruit in the fall and winter months. Are there other alternatives? Frozen fruit is a great choice. ABC News reported that frozen fruit could actually be healthier than fresh fruit. Some of the healthiest foods in the grocery store are in the freezer section. They state that fruit loses important nutrients the minute it's picked, and how long after harvesting you eat it impacts its nutritional value. Most fruits are allowed to fully ripen before they are harvested and frozen, so they are at their peak of nutritional value. But many times, fresh produce is harvested before it's fully ripened, so it is artificially ripened when it's transported to the supermarket and doesn't provide the key nutrients. So don't let fall and winter months tempt you into foregoing fruit in your daily diet. Consume frozen fruit and enjoy all the nutritional advantages. Welcome back. I think what is very important, and when I work with veterans, we often talk about this, about when you're put on a new medication, especially if you're given multiple medications that may or may not have uh, interactions, you want to know what are some things that I should look for. Because sometimes things will be side effects, but they're not of the drug. But sometimes they are. And so you want to be able to document when you take a new drug. This is the drug I take. This is what I'm when I'm taking it during the day. This says to take it with food, um, but this is making me feel funny in in another way because I must be depleting something else by taking this. So I think there are a lot of things that the educational part is important. And I know in the past, just with myself, if someone has said, "Okay, take this medication. You must take it for the full ten days." because otherwise it's going to be a problem. I think we all know about the antibiotic overload that some people have done. You know, give me an antibiotic, period, end of story, and then you become immune to it. So there are a lot of things. But let's start with, you know, how do you educate, ideally, in an ideal world, you're giving some a new patient uh, a prescription that has been prescribed, and what do you tell them to look for or to, or if at all to document? So I think it's very important for a patient receiving a new medication to first and foremost understand why they are taking it. Yes. They also need to understand what they should expect, whether it's seen or unseen, what they should expect as a result of taking the medication. Mm -hmm. It's important for patients to understand that just because you do or don't feel something doesn't mean you shouldn't 
continue with the prescription. So oftentimes we have patients who are given antibiotics and at the first sign of feeling a little bit better or that infection is clearing, they go, oh, I don't need any more of this. Or you'll have patients who take medicine for high blood pressure and because you don't always feel blood pressure, if it's high or not, you may say, oh, well, I feel great. I don't need to take this. So it's very important to take the medications that are prescribed as they are prescribed. I I shudder when I hear patients say, oh, I didn't think I needed that blood pressure medicine anymore. So I just stopped taking it. Uh. It's very, very important to, if you're reducing a medication dose or if you are discontinuing a medication to do so under the guidance of the physician who prescribed it. With the pharmacist, the pharmacist can help a patient understand what side effects could potentially happen. Mm -hmm. If you feel dizziness, this is expected or this is unexpected. Mm -hmm. So make sure to call the doctor or call the pharmacist or, you know, let someone know if this happens. And again, that's going to be dependent on what medication the patient is taking. But I think a deep conversation to make sure that the patient truly understands what they're doing and why and how will go a long way with the patient being compliant with the therapy. And also I've been amazed as I hear patients uh, talk about their medications and I say, well, Are you taking it as the doctor prescribed? Well, no, I'm taking two pills instead of three pills or, you know, whatever they have come up with as what they feel is best. I think it's really important for patients to understand they need to have that conversation and that communication. I'll go you one further. You talked about people stopping antibiotics because they're feeling better. With the cost of medical care these days and prescriptions, et cetera, if someone's feeling better from a practical sense, they may say, you know what, I'm feeling better. I'm going to save this for the next time I feel sick. And we understand it from a cost standpoint. But if someone says to you, in order for you to eradicate this problem that you have, you must continue it for the full course of action of the prescription. And that will save you money in the long run so that you don't have another doctor's appointment. I I think the pharmacist can play a role in addressing, okay, this might be what you think you could do, but please don't. It will cost you more in the end. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is that um, having worked in pharmaceuticals for so long, I, I can't help but bring these things up. When you're given those written educational pieces that go in, you know, what used to be the package insert inside a bottle, um, many drugs are now prescribed for off-label uses. Right. So you're what is it called, a circular or whatever it's called, may not list what it's doing. So people will really read something and go, well, I don't have that. Or they don't know that there's an anxiety component to fibromyalgia or something like that. And they'll say, well, I don't need this. They gave me the wrong thing. But they won't go back because that's another doctor's appointment cost. Mm -hmm. And do you follow what I'm saying? I mean, I want to go after these things proactively, and I'm wondering, is that something that what you're advocating that pharmacists do? Yes, pharmacists can have those conversations with the patient. They can determine what needs to be clarified. Mm -hmm. Pharmacists can even interact with the patient, uh, excuse me, interact with the physician on the patient's behalf Mm. to say, I've had this, because oftentimes patients won't want to call back to the doctor's office. 
don't want to bother the doctor. That seems to be. Um, and it's a pain in the neck. You wait on for hours and hours and hours and you might get a call back or someone's not on call. I mean, right. they, make, they don't make it easy. Right. Or you have to talk with the nurse. And so, you know, once you leave the office, it's it's easier to have everything that you need because to have to call back is, right. un, you know, can be difficult. And mm-hmm. two, patients just, I feel, are not as willing to do that. You're but right. pharmacists can have that communication on the patient's behalf mm-hmm. or the pharmacist can help prepare the patient for when they're getting to their next visit. The pharmacist can help prepare them to know what questions to ask. That's beautiful because good questions guide better health care. Right. And most doctors these days, most, not all, but most, and if, if yours doesn't, you may want to consider another, most are glad to have an educated patient because it allows them to become participant in their care. Right. If they don't, I... I think that's fading away more, but they are spending so little time because their heads are in the electronic records. Mm-hmm. And yet if you go back and look at your own medical records, they often are not congruent with what went on in that examination. And so I, th- I think medicine is so complex these days, and it's driven by money as opposed to care. And that's a, that's a shame, but it's a fact of life. We can't change that right now. So I, I think that this better educating of the patient allows them to get better better medical care. Right. And the patient, if they don't have access to an electronic patient portal where they can review Mm -hmm. their doctor's visits summary or their lab uh, summary reports, I think it's very important to ask for copies of this information Mm -hmm. so that the patient can also be informed and know what the doctor prescribed, what the doctor, you know, what the doctor's impressions were so that they can have a true picture. Because if you are in a doctor's office and you're being seen as the patient, when you leave, I've, I've asked patients, well, what did the doctor say? Well, oh, he said a lot or she said a lot, right. but they aren't really able to recall. And so right. unless the patient is there and taking notes, I think it's really important to have access to your medical records or ask for a copy of that visit mm-hmm. and the values that are that are collected in a particular visit so that you can go home and reflect on it. It's kind of like how I said at the pharmacy counter, when you're picking up your prescription, no one usually stands and reads that leaflet at that moment. (laughs) No, they they shred it when they get home. And they don't know what questions they have. However, when you get home and you have time to think and you've fixed dinner and you've taken care of the family, then you can think, okay, what questions do I have? You can review that leaflet. You can review Mm -hmm the uh, progress notes or visit notes and summary from your doctor's visit and really become an integral part of your own healthcare team. I absolutely agree with you. And I, I think the number of people who just take the word of the doctor, take this med, here's why it, it's for whatever you came in for. The doctor may not even say this is going to take care of this, this, and this. They may just write, I'm going to write you a prescription for X because of what you've told me today. So you don't actually know what to expect. And you're right, you don't spend much time with the doctors. I also have a thought about dosages, because I think that dosages are designed, I've worked in clinical trials, um, dosages are designed for the average person. 
but you know titrating a dose to to fit the patient can be helpful yeah and so for, i'll give you me as an example you know i'm five feet tall 105 pounds i'm your average 11 12 year old right. and yet the dosage that is normally provided to me is for adults period anybody 18 and older and right. so i will often ask um, is this a long-lasting uh, you know a 12-hour medication if so i would like to start on the you know four time a day medication because before i know how i respond to it because you can paradox on medications in other words it gives you the opposite response right. you're taking something for anxiety not i'm not explaining that to you i'm explaining that to our listeners um but i i think it's interesting because it's really not set up that way is there a reason well, and I think that is due to, as you mentioned earlier, we're different in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Our, our height, our gender, our weight, mm-hmm. our genetics. Our so, ethnicity even. Ethnicity, yes. And that, that definitely um, is, is plays out in, in the genetics that we see. And one of the things that I think people aren't aware of is that pharmacists have the capability of reading genetic test results to help patients understand and physicians which medications will or will not work the best Mm -hmm. for a patient, Mm -hmm. depending on what that medication is. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes medications are prescribed as a one-size-fits-all, including the dose. But what if that medication won't work for you because of your genetic predisposition to metabolize drugs faster? Correct. Or slower. Or right. slower. I mean, that that can be a, a larger problem. Um, right. So I, I think it's interesting. Tell why it's important to take food with meals if it's prescribed that way. We have oh. just about a minute and a half. Okay, for a couple of reasons. One, um, some medications need to be in the presence of food so that they can be metabolized so that they can be absorbed, if you will. Mm -hmm. And then other times it's important to take medications with food to protect the stomach Mm -hmm. so that the uh, stomach will not be irritated. And because if a patient uh, vomits a medication that they've just taken, then now we don't have the benefit of the medication because it's been expelled. Mm -hmm. So uh, those are the two reasons that I would say uh, mainly to protect the stomach and also sometimes to protect the drug and make sure that it actually is absorbed into the system so it can be metabolized. Well, I think that's important because I think sometimes people ignore it or you'll see people dry swallowing meds and (laughs) it's not that they're going to stop. But there are reasons why you take medications the way they are prescribed. And so the pharmacist, I'm going to ask more questions of my own pharmacist at this point because I think you you don't, you think, people like me who worked in pharmaceuticals, we know more. But it also means we need to ask the same questions too uh, for family members or even ourselves if we're unsure. So we're going on a second break. We're going to be talking further with Jerika Dodd. And be the CEO of your own health. We'll be right back. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. It's merging. 
was growing up in Wisconsin, no matter how frigid it was outside, my Uncle Bob never seemed to get cold. He would come in from the snow wearing a t-shirt and remark how fresh it was outside. Then again, folks from Wisconsin are a pretty hearty bunch. As America's official dairy state, the cows have been known to give ice cream instead of milk when the temperatures drop. What's a word for a giant snowball that is formed by rolling a smaller one through a field of snow? hug a dog Megla is an old Scots word meaning to trudge laboriously through the snow. And mufflements is an old Lancashire word for thick, warm, insulating clothes and gloves. Don't forget that you shouldn't try and send text messages if you're standing out in the cold. It can lead to typothermia. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Water is the best source of hydration, and it is important for all of us to stay hydrated. Harvard Medical School reports that water protects organs and tissues, regulates body temperature, carries nutrients and oxygen to our cells, helps maintain our electrolyte balance, stabilizes our heartbeats, normalizes blood pressure, prevents constipation, aids in digestion, and cushions our joints, just to name a few of the benefits. Staying hydrated is crucial, and they recommend drinking fluids throughout the day. Water needs vary, but a general rule is four to six cups of water per day. Drink fluids gradually, all day long, to ward off dehydration. Drinking water also helps with weight loss, as it gives you a feeling of fullness. When it comes to water, drink up to slim down. I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back. It's very interesting. We were talking on the break. Oftentimes, um, with an educated public, with the direct-to-consumer advertising, people come in and say, I've got these symptoms. I want this drug. And, okay, that's that's one way to do it, and it might be the right answer. But some drugs are created strictly for symptom relief. They're not created to get at the root cause of the problem or what may be dealt with on perhaps a nutritional viewpoint or perspective or a stress reduction or a weight reduction, any number of things. And the interesting part is that while I will always believe that pharmaceuticals have a role in medical care, I also believe in a holistic approach. And you were talking about the root cause on our break and how you know, that training is something that's close to your heart and that you're taking a look at too. Is it because of things like what I just said? Yes. I think that in some cases we can take medication and we patients experience side effects and then maybe another medication is prescribed to counteract the side effects of Mm -hmm. the first medication and you literally can end up going around in a circle. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've determined um, for your pharmacy advocate is that I want our pharmacist to help patients get to the root cause and and work with their healthcare practitioners to get to the root cause mm-hmm. of what their problems are is it a toxicity problem mm-hmm. what what what's going on what type of uh, dysfunction is there such that maybe there may meet, there may be a need for prescription medication however maybe it's something that can be uh fixed with diet mm-hmm. and 
I, I actually just had a uh, patient recently that went to the doctor and had complaints of constipation, chronic mm-hmm. constipation, right. and was prescribed a particular agent for that. Mm-hmm. And she was saying, you know, I can't afford a $300 a month copay. That <sighs> and when she did take it, it caused bleeding. And right. so... I said, well, did anyone ever talk with you about your diet? To me, when I hear constipation, I think, let's start with the simple. Mm-hmm. And she said, no, no one's ever discussed my diet with me. And so mm-hmm. I literally said, tell me what you eat. And when she told me what she eats on an average day, I said, I don't hear any vegetables in there. The fibers. Yeah. Right. I don't hear any vegetable, and I don't know if you're getting enough water. How about if we, because she's already decided, I don't want to keep taking laxatives. The prescription medication caused bleeding, and that's not working, and it's expensive. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying, well, why don't we start at the point of what about more vitamin, uh, excuse me, more more fiber, more vegetables, more fruit, and hydration. Right. Right. One of the big things in America these days is we are not hydrating and it's it's something so simple but hydrating is not diet soda right right no that's that's not it and unfortunately when the marketing of fast food which seems to be really convenient it's marketed with a 32 ounce sugary drink be it you know a a normal sugar or artificial sweetener drink and no one's marketing to you get that 32 ounces of water because that would be a great boost to your hydration. Well, you know, you it, it's very rare that you can be overhydrated. It does happen, but it is very, very rare. And so one of the, the funny things is that, you know, enough water, as you said, enough fiber could have helped this person not need that medication. Um, right. I think there are a lot of stress-induced diseases too that you end up with a fear of continuing living the way you're living, which is uncomfortable for whatever reason. And so you stay in a rut because you figure, oh, well, it's my my problem. And then you see it on television that try this. And so it's always easier to take a magic pill yeah. than it is to get to the root cause. But as she was very motivated by money, okay. uh, it, you know, reducing $300 a month, you know, it's $900 over three months. That's a lot of money over the course of a year. Yes. And if you can get to the, did it, did it work for her? Well, we just spoke recently. So we were in a trial period. She had already made a decision before reaching out to my service that she wasn't taking the, the expensive uh, prescription and that she was no longer going to use over-the-counter laxatives because we know that laxative abuse and long-term use of laxatives is not good as well. And so um, she is very eager to, and she said, it's funny, I never thought about the diet and something that would seem, you know, very straightforward. I think people need someone to offer some coaching on just getting back to the basics. I agree with you in terms of medicine altogether, because I think it's very siloed. And so it, it is difficult because sometimes you'll be talking to five and six practitioners. The other thing is some people don't want to talk about what they eat or their, how they exercise or do they move. Um, I asked my son-in-law, who is a physician, I said, well, how much nutrition training did you get in medical school? He said, none. Mm. None. Yeah. And 
it's because everybody's going into specialties and subspecialties and all of that kind of thing, some of the basics are being lost, which is why I'm so glad we're moving to, you know, certifications in functional medicine, etc. Um, and you can do a lot of research on your own, but you should be cautious. And it sounds to me like using a pharmacist as you go along or a nutritional coach or something would also help you to be making some good decisions. Um, we often read about how, you know, we have first world problems. People eat, uh, but they still have deficits in certain uh, minerals and vitamins that we all need. Uh, Vitamins are expensive. And people just, you start to forego some of what I'll call preventive medicine. And I, I, I look longingly back at when we, said we were going to go to preventive health care with HMOs. That never happened. And healthcare is so expensive these days that the temptation is to go bare because you can't afford it. Right. And yet without it, you're taking a very high risk. So I, I think that you're talking about is it toxic? Is it dysfunctional? Are you on the right dosage? Um it, it's very interesting. I wanted to ask you about something. We didn't discuss this before, so if it's off topic or not your area, just tell me. But there is a, a move. Insurance will not cover certain things like compounded elements. And in some cases, though, compounding elements makes them a lot easier to metabolize and more effective. And yet insurance doesn't cover it. Well, oftentimes, um, and I, one of the, the drug classes that comes to mind is the fact that hormones. That's where I was going. Um, yep. um, and so not really as well versed on insurance, uh, covering or not covering. It but doesn't. Usually, um, <laughs> insur- uh, usually, uh, compounded hormones, I would suggest, um, are more identical to the hormones that our body has versus the synthetic hormones. Mm -hmm. And so that leads me to say that oftentimes we, I think that to prevent disease sometimes or to maintain health, sometimes payments are going to have to be made out of pocket. And I know that that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different patients. Mm -hmm. But because of the limitation of insurance, unfortunately, I don't think you can totally rely on your insurance to maintain your health. And granted, that's definitely another conversation with, you know, what you're spending for your insurance coverage and what you can expect. And not not my area of of expertise. However, I am a firm believer that in order to maintain health, it is very reasonable and very plausible and possible that you will have to pay for some things out of pocket because in order it's valuable for your health. Right. And 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 I brought up the compounding on purpose because I think many of the women in our audience are considering compounding hormones or bioidentical hormones. And uh, that's a specific example where a regular pharmaceutical hormone that could be paid for by your insurance simply doesn't do the same job as a compounded formulation for particular people. And, and of course, everything we're talking about today is not advice. It's simply a discussion about things to think about. Yeah. And what you just said is important. If you're going to buy the right food, 
it, you, you want to buy the right medications that are going to help you too. But again, we're talking about being educated. Right. I think it's important to know what your options are. For example, mm -hmm. with you have the option to buy you know, regular food or food that's organic. And I'm not here to promote one or the other, but I think you should be aware of the pros and cons of both mm -hmm. as well as medications, which medication is going to be the best. And so if I'm prescribed a medication, I'm going to ask, are there any other alternatives? Is this the only course of therapy mm -hmm. that could possibly be done? Because I think that's a conversation worth having versus just, yes, I'll, I'll do this and not knowing what your options are. I, which I think is the grand majority of people. They just fall in line. Okay. But the doctor gave this to me. Now, I also think there's something about people that if one is good, two is better and I'll get over this faster. Mm. <laughs> well, I think that depends on the patient and a lot of the individual factors that we talked about, mm -hmm. and more is not always better, and more doesn't always necessarily equal um, healing faster. If you know. so, right, right. Especially if it ends up being an alternative type therapy or supplement or something like that, that surely doesn't necessarily mean that it will be a faster course, if you will, so or a shorter course. So I think that each person and each situation is unique. And that's why having a personal pharmacist is something that can help sort out each individual patient story or patient mm -hmm. scenario to help find what's best for that particular patient. Which I think is true of our medical care. While we may be rushed, if you come in with the correct questions and you ask the right thing, chances are good you will get the information you're looking for and then also use your pharmacist to reiterate those questions and come back on that information um, as opposed to being blind about what you're taking. And I think people are careful about drugs these days, but not as informed as perhaps they could be. I want to give out your website so that people know that, and we'll do it again at the end, but yourpharmacyadvocate.com if you're following along with a computer today near you because this is a really interesting way to augment your own health care with professionals who are trained to absolutely work with you one-on-one. -on -one. And I don't know who wouldn't like that because it's certainly nice to have someone to talk about who's knowledgeable as opposed to Dr. Google. We'll be right back. We're Wise Health for Women Radio, and we'll return after these short messages. emergency room nurse will tell you they receive some weird and wild calls. I used to be the night ER nurse at Hennepin County General Hospital in Minneapolis and remember getting a call from someone who was worried about if it mattered or not if their belly button was an innie or an outie. It doesn't matter, but if you're an outie, you are definitely the minority. Still, that's good news because you don't have to worry about a little problem that people with innies have. Pledge it. That's another word for belly button lint. Researchers say the color of the pledget in your belly button is related to the clothing you wear, just like the lint that collects in your clothes dryer. A friend of mine from the Philippines says they call it a chikachu. What do you call a person who's obsessed with their belly button? An omphalopsicite. It's marching down the road. 
I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Have you ever felt that you're too busy to exercise? That is a common excuse and one that is used quite often. But the reality is we make time for what is important to us. We all get 24 hours in a day, and it's simply a matter of prioritizing and managing your time. If you have time to watch your favorite television program, get a manicure, or read a book, you have time to exercise. I always encourage my clients to exercise first thing in the morning, if possible. Roll out of bed 30 minutes earlier, put on your exercise clothes, and head outside for a brisk walk or run or head to the gym. Get it done early before the demands of the day interfere with your exercise schedule. Starting your day off with exercise is energizing, invigorating, and mood-enhancing. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Welcome back. I want to make sure that we talk about how to approach a pharmacist to talk about this. I imagine, just like people in any other group, some will be very amenable to helping, like you're talking about, and some will be rushed and not my job, and I'm just perfectly happy sitting back here fulfilling prescriptions. People are different. So what's the best way to approach your pharmacist about uh, some questions you may have or or a consultation on uh, the genetic testing, as you mentioned. Um, talk to us. How do you approach a pharmacist that way, initially and then on a maintenance level? So I think the important thing with regard to approaching a pharmacist is that if for some reason that pharmacist isn't available, doesn't have the time, we talked about some of the challenges that pharmacists face in a retail setting from time mm-hmm. to time. Mm-hmm. I would say continue looking. That's why uh, looking for someone, let me finish that sentence, continue looking for someone or for a pharmacist that can help. That's mm-hmm. why uh, my mission is to empower people to become the CEO of their health. Mm-hmm. And when you are the CEO of your health, you are looking for the parties to be on your healthcare team, including the doctor, the pharmacist, the, you know, the alternative healthcare practitioner. Your care team, your, your consultancy, right. And so you don't just necessarily say, well, this is who my insurance covers, so that's who I go see. You can make a decision to see or not see someone. So I would say in approaching a pharmacist, if that person does not have the time, keep looking for a pharmacist that does. And I know that there are definitely pharmacists out there, including the uh, the practice that I've built. There are pharmacists out there who want to help. This is what excites them about caring for patients. This is what we learn to do mm-hmm. in school. And so they want that touch with the patient to be able to advise them, educate them, and give them guidance on the safe use of their medications. Another question. Are pharmacists trained in supplements? Well, I, it's, I've been out of pharmacy school now for 21 years, so I have not seen uh, the curriculum that is commonly used in pharmacy schools today. However, many pharmacists are 
definitely aware that if they're not, so for instance, I was not trained in supplements in pharmacy school, you know, graduating 21 years ago, but there are definite ways to get knowledge and get training and get understanding of those things. And so I would say that if you run into a pharmacist that has not been formally trained, they've likely accessed additional training Mm -hmm. outside of their pharmacy degree. And pharmacists are uh, very resourceful professionals. (laughs) And that if there's a question, even if they don't know the answer, they generally know where they can find the answer. Mm -hmm. So even if a pharmacist was not formally trained in pharmacy school regarding supplements, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't let that be a deterrent. They can find the answer or they've likely had additional training outside of school. Uh, That's fair because at least now the medical forms are trained to say, uh, please list any medications you are taking, including supplements. Right. And run a list of supplements, what that means. Because some people don't think that their multivitamin is a supplement. Right. They don't think that, you know, a a tablet of magnesium is a supplement. Um, Run down that list quickly, if you would. I would say anything that a patient is taking for any type of deficiency or to avoid a deficiency. So vitamin C, vitamin D, um, any vitamin or mineral that's being taken, you know, that's not gotten from the diet could mm-hmm. be considered a supplement. Mm-hmm. Any Anything, I mean, I think that patients don't even think about when they have pain that, you know, they may take, you know, a certain number of uh, pain medication, mm-hmm. um, a certain number of pain medication pills in a given month when they have a headache or when they have menstrual cramps or anything mm-hmm. like that, they right. may count that. And I think all of that has to be taken into consideration when, you know, if you take the occasional ibuprofen or, or acetaminophen um, several times a month, that might be something to include because there may be clues there depending on what the presenting problem is that a patient. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to think about the things that we don't tend to think about and go, oh, well, they, they don't mean that. That's not important. I would say put as much information as possible. And that way, the healthcare practitioner that's taking care of the patient has a fuller picture of what's going on. I would agree. And I also would love it if you would discuss how just because it's over the counter doesn't mean that it is safe taken at any dosage. Right. Um, I, I'm amazed at how people will get an over-the-counter medication and take a dose that's equivalent to a prescription dose. Mm-hmm. And that's not following the directions. And if your healthcare practitioner isn't aware that you're self-prescribing and self-dosing that way, that could cause problems down the road. And I think one of the, the common ones is, you know, pain medication, right. ibuprofen, for example, or even Tylenol. If patients are taking doses that are higher than what they should, mm-hmm. there side effects, there could be serious side effects. Mm-hmm. And you just, it's not a good, that's, that's not a good scenario. No, it's not. And, and I also think that are patients open about whether they are users of alcohol or cannabis? Um, sometimes I think they are, and then sometimes I think they're not. I think in the interviewing process, when 
talking to a patient, it's very important to establish rapport and establish trust mm-hmm. so that patients don't feel that you have a condescending uh, tone towards them. Or a because, judgment, right? right? Judgment, because then it seems like they're reporting to uh, an author- a law enforcement authority or even right. maybe a parent versus right. having a conversation with a health professional. Mm-hmm. So I think those things are really important. And if patients feel comfortable I think they're more likely to divulge that information, Mm -hmm. especially knowing that the healthcare provider really wants to help them. Because, you know, we talked about interactions earlier in our call in that some medications should not be taken at the same time or with someone, you know, drinking as well. And so it's very important for patients to share this information. However, I think the environment in which they share is very critical. Absolutely. Trust is, what is it? People don't care what you know until they know you care. Right. And so it's important. Uh, We had talked before the show about the three strategies to take charge of your own health. Can you go over those? Sure. So my first suggestion is it's very important to be involved. And involved means being involved with your family and your confidence and sharing with them what you're experiencing with your health. If Mm -hmm. I am in your family and or your immediate family, at least, and you have to go to the hospital. Someone else in your family needs to be able to give information or share information with the Mm -hmm. health team so that they can have more information or more clues as to what's going on. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to another way to be involved is to prepare for conversations with the healthcare practitioner. Before mm-hmm. you go to an appointment, sit and think about what questions you want to ask, what problems or concerns that you have, and make sure to prepare for that in advance and basically have a goal for that visit mm-hmm. so that when you walk away, you know that you got your questions answered. I think it's also important to be involved by knowing what runs in your family. Oftentimes, uh, families won't talk about the different ailments or disorders or diseases that run in the family mm-hmm. and show up and they say, you know, is there a family history of this? And you don't know. My second tip would be to be proactive and responsive. And I, I did a speech uh, not too long ago and I asked the audience, how many of you have gotten a postcard in the last several months saying that it's time for whatever routine um, health care appointment mm-hmm. and you haven't made it yet? And you would be surprised by the number of hands that went up. And it's like, it's important to be proactive and responsive because this is your health. And so in order to become the CEO of your health, you need to keep your scheduled routine wellness appointments because that's how we keep from becoming ill. Mm -hmm. It's important to not let things go by the wayside. Oh, I know I need to go to the dentist. Oh, I know I need to go for my annual physical, but I'll get around to it. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I would say is the, and my third point is to stay current. So we've talked about medications this entire show and supplements. Mm -hmm. And I think important that those medications and supplements be reviewed at a minimum every year, but maybe every six months. Should you still be taking this? Can you function without it? Has Mm -hmm. the problem been resolved? You know, are there any new medications? What are the nutrient deficiencies? Is there a better alternative? We talked, you mentioned earlier about new agents coming to market. We talked Mm -hmm. about 
getting to the root cause of problems. Mm-hmm. Have someone, have a healthcare professional, and I would suggest a pharmacist, have them review your medications every six months to a year just to make sure that everything's current, that everything is still needed that a patient's taking. Excellent thoughts because you're saying you are a participant. Life is not a dress rehearsal. No. You, you don't get do-overs. So it's it's important that this resource, a pharmacist, which I honestly hadn't thought about until we spoke as such an integral part, because I think often we're just, we call in our prescriptions, we run and pick them up, and we don't give it any thought because we've been taking it. But I also think I want to insert one more thing, which we vaguely touched on, which is that over time and age, you may start to respond differently. Yeah. And so by reviewing your meds with someone who's knowledgeable and saying, well, I... I feel these things, but I'm sure they're not related. They may. I mean, you're trained in that. We are not. And Dr. Google doesn't really know your medical history. Thank goodness. Well, maybe they do. I'm scared to even think about that. (laughs) But at any rate, you know what I'm saying. It's it's important. So we have about a minute and a half. I want to give your website out again, yourpharmacyadvocate.com. And Dr. Jerika Dodd. You've got a minute and a half. What else would you like to add that we may not have touched on? So I would just like to add that um, we are available to provide consultation for patients, even if they're thinking, I'm not sure if this is something that I really need. Even after Mm -hmm. hearing our show today, if they say, well, I I don't know what it's like to work with a pharmacist. I'd I'd like to talk with someone further Mm -hmm. that we are available to do that. And the way, the best way to find us is the website, as you said, yourpharmacyadvocate.com. And there are all of the social media uh, platforms that are listed at the bottom of the website. But there's also a contact form where patients can fill in their name and their contact information. And someone will return that call and set up a call where they can talk with a pharmacist to see if a personal pharmacist is even something that they need. Jerika, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and thoughts with us today. And please check out yourpharmacyadvocate.com. We'll be back again next week with another terrific guest. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in today. You can find more shows at wisehealthforwomenradio.com.